which is ironic because we're a women's workwear brand, but like we're really focused on getting men into the conversation and to accept that women fundamentally have a different experience. We're the majority group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Catero. And I'm Frankie Aquasim. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. A Harvard Business Review study reported that what a woman wears to work impacts our bottom line over our lifetime by 20 to 40%. Sorry, but that's just crazy. So Crazy called and a brand name Argent bravely answered and delivered by supporting all women and non-binary people with the workwear and tools that generate the equity we deserve in the workplace. Today, we get to sit with Sally Christensen, founder of Argent and one of the most tenacious people to explore how and why the systems were built against us and have some fun learning how Argent is building for the better. Spoiler alert, it's not just women changing the system, but all of us. Stick around, bros. Since this conversation is based on visual subject matter, we created a little guide to share with you. Text Argent, that's A-R-G-E-N-T, to us at the number 833-495-4773 to get it. Should we do it? Let's get into it. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I would love to kick things off by hearing a little bit about your origin story. Great. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. So Argent was really born from a personal pain point that I think all women can relate to, to be honest, which was the headache of having to find workwear. I mean, whether it was interviews or jobs, it was just always... It just felt like an afterthought, honestly, of anyone who was making work wear. (laughs) And this was working across different industries, different cities. And it was just always a pain. And it was a shared pain that I had with my peer group wherever I was. And so it was always in the back of my head as just, you know, something I'd complain about. But then in 2014, I read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance. And for the first time, they quantified the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. It ends up being incredibly significant. What is significant? So over your lifetime, it can have an impact to the tune of 20 to 40% on your bottom line over your lifetime. And just to break that down into numbers, let's say you have an annual salary of 100000 That means that you'd be taking home sixty to 80000 versus the 100000 just based on what you're wearing. And that's just one year. So this is over your lifetime. It ends up just being incredibly significant. Well, like federal tax, state tax, appearance tax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're already starting <laughs> at a not equitable totally. place. Yeah. We already get paid way less to the dollar depending on your makeup. And so for me, that was the catalyst. Like I read that and just saw an opportunity to really redefine workwear for the modern professional because our demands have really changed and our needs have really changed. But moreover, and we'll get into this, but like Argent really is driven by 
my values and has a very clear mission attached to it. I saw an opportunity to leverage brand to really like visually inspire women in a way that I felt like wasn't being done because I think a brand is the most powerful thing in the world. So that was our origin story. So I quit my job. I was working in tech in 2014, put in my notice, left in 2015 and the rest is history. I've heard you talk about one kind of particular episode that I think is annoyingly boring because it is something that we can all relate to in some way. And so I'd love to go through this boring story and dissect it a bit. Which one? (laughs) I'm like, which boring Um, story? (laughs) Fair. There is one when you were hosting international partners. Yeah. So I think that there are subtleties to how our clothes are holding us back or historically have been, and we don't even realize it. So I remember getting started. There were little things like in talking to the designer that I brought on to help launch Argent, but it was like, why don't you wear a jumpsuit to work? And I think it's something as simple as like, I don't have the time to even go to the restroom and like take the whole thing off. I need someone to think about that when they're designing workwear. So like, I'm not wearing a jumpsuit because that's how little time I have. Another example is the one that you're alluding to. I was working with Chinese state-owned enterprise. It was a joint venture that Cisco was doing. And so the big boss of the initiative was based in China and was in town and the whole team was in town in San Jose, California. And unsurprisingly, it was like three women on the team, the rest men. We had a really productive morning session. And then we took that right into a team lunch. And I like vividly remember the women having to go back to their desk to grab their purses for lunch. And the men all went straight to lunch. And by the time we got there, they were all like sitting. They'd had the opportunity to walk together to like, you know, have that informal networking opportunity, or they're still talking about business. They all sat together and we ended up on like the fringes or the outskirts of, you know, the conversation and sitting at the end of the table. And it's such a small thing, but that had like significant consequences. And so for us, when we design the blazers, for example, they're interior pockets. So you can carry your credit card and your phone and you don't have to go back and grab your purse for those things. And so I could have gone straight from meeting to lunch. So we're just thinking about those types of events that occur for women. I mean, we're already disadvantaged in the workplace. So how do we solve and like really streamline through clothing? For everyone who's listening, these pockets are deep. Like (laughs) Sally mentioned credit card, phone, tampons, your hand, like glasses. And what's crazy about that story besides like the fact that it's just very crazy is that like you said, small, Lola said boring. It's like a minor thing. And as we're thinking about like how to achieve equity in the workplace, we kind of have to look at all levels of the problem because there are the bigger things like salary. There are also the smaller things like that, where you really have to have people in power who've lived that to understand like those more micro ones, because they, like you said, small, but still has a pretty big effect. Like networking is a huge part of the job. A hundred percent. I think the micro examples are actually the ones that compound to have the most impact. For me, I can vividly remember people that were just blatantly sexist, you know, in my work experiences, but it's the individuals who oftentimes didn't realize that what they were doing was based on my gender and they were really small offenses. Those compound to become really problematic. So I think that's like a really great way to speak to it because I think we just have so many things operating against us. And it's about just having the conversation and awareness and just trying to inform people in power that can help initiate change. Well, I mean, I think it's 
you know, the reason why I said boring earlier is because it happens daily for so many people. And I mean, I remember my first like job, I felt like I was buying a costume, right? Like, Oh, I need to go to work. Like, what is the work costume? And I remember trying to inject my personality and the choice of colored sweater I got at J crew. And then I went to work and got in trouble for it. Cause it was too loud. And it was like back to like, damned if you do damned, if you don't, I got in trouble for my nail color. I think that was the time when we like started the work for, it was very different. Yeah. What I think is profound about your story, other than it's common and it happens all the time, is that it highlights the system, right? Like the workplace in general, it was designed by and for males. And only as we work towards equity, are we uncovering these design flaws? And then it also goes into our workwear, which was designed historically by men. And so only until we start to question these flaws, can we work towards solving them? And I think Arjun has this very fantastic approach where it solves these flaws through workwear, but then also kind of manifests into programs and all these other things. And we're just sitting here and I'm like, Arjun solves this. You had a very compelling business case. And so when you went to fundraise, like that must have been a walk in the park. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been set up in the best way for this one. Uh, <laughs> shockingly, no. I think fundraising is so broken, as with a lot of things. But women are really just not given their fair shot. And when you have an idea... Money is everything. It's your ability to buy eyeballs and to really break through or to grow a team. I mean, it's everything. And the numbers just came out for 2021. Women received 2.2% of venture funding and venture backing, which is even lower than the previous year. Historically, it's hovered around 2.9% in the last couple of years. And so the fact that that number has dropped in light of all that we know about female-founded businesses, they have a higher success rate. The happier workforce, they're solving traditionally female specific problems, which I think is part of the challenge in fundraising. But fundraising for this was hard. And I would consider myself pretty privileged going into it, to be honest. Like I had access to executives from Cisco that I had met that were high net worth. You know, I had access to family, friends or whatever. Like it's just, what was hard about it though? Was it, you know, the idea is great, compelling business. So where was the resistance? It's really hard to fully explain it until you go through it. But I think for women that are solving a female centric problem, when men are predominantly like the ones that are investing that in itself is challenging because with you, I can sit here and tell you about the problem and the fact that women are judged and immediately you recognize that because you've experienced it every single day of your existence. And with men, they'll go, hmm. I don't know if that's true. Explain that more to me. Or you'll say that women haven't been thought of and they'll go, no, they have been, you know, I so like of women all the time. <laughs> so there's, they're on the brain. There's, there's that like educational component that you have to spend all of your time and energy on versus really digging into the business. And the fact that like, this is a $34.9 billion annual spend in this category. This is a huge business opportunity. I'm uniquely equipped to solve it for these reasons. Like I could go on and on. But I think that being female, solving a female-centric problem, you just kind of have the deck stacked against you, to be honest. There is a brand very similar to ours that was founded by men, and they got funding from a very reputable tier one venture capital fund, like venture capitalist day one. 
and no VCs would fund something quote this early, you know, but if you looked at your male peer group, it just didn't even compare. Beyond that, I think just raising requires some level of like hubris and qualities that women don't naturally like lean into as much because we're conditioned to sort of fit in and be like a bit more proper and like always having to fit this mold that's unrealistic. And so it kind of requires you to be a bit aggressive and you have to learn how to fundraise, to be honest, it's challenging. I think investors are also looking for what they've like seen as successful. It's the Mark Zuckerberg, the hoodie, the tech guy. I just think there's pressure on women to tell a more robust story when they raise. So like I had to have a full deck, full data, full research, like prove it out so much more just to even get my shot. And then pennies on the dollar in terms of what kind of funding that I would get. So it would be like pity checks, you know? Yeah, I'd be like, well, I'll give you a check for like $10,000. And it's like, well, that's not really, that means I have to have like 150 more of these conversations. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's just hard to explain. It's sort of those like microaggressions that we talked about where you either get offered less or nothing and you just aren't taken as seriously and you ultimately don't end up with the amount of funding that your male peers do. And then you're just not giving a shot. So for a woman to break through is like a very real miracle. I mean, Sarah Blakely is actually a really great example. She had nothing like she didn't have funding. She bootstrapped it like that's unbelievable what she did. And there are a lot of great examples of women like that. But for the most part, it's like I have a much harder shot than men. Like this is surfacing so many things from my past that I haven't thought about in forever. I was working, I was third employee at a startup. And I remember the founder would come back from meetings and he would just be really excited because he would hear from potential investors. Like you are the demographic we are looking for. Like studies show, I think the age was 36, but like male 36 years old or whatever with one kid and one on the way. And that was like what they were like, perfect. Like you are motivated enough and blah, blah, blah. And family man, family man, but like, yeah, still making a name for yourself. And his resume was essentially non-existent. Like his biggest claim to fame actually was when he was 13 years old and hadn't had a win since. And we still got millions of dollars in series A. I feel like I don't do it justice. You like when you live it and nobody really wants to hear like the sob story. So I probably don't spend as much time talking about it, but it is so brutal for females. Like, and we like funds have popped up that are female focused, but obviously the numbers aren't matching. So something's not happening. And in my experience, like oftentimes those funds, it's even harder to raise. Like, it's just, it's very, very broken. It's, I used this word earlier, but like, it's really triggering because now it's, you know, I'm in year seven of business and it just puts you on a different trajectory. And there's just a lot that comes up along the way, including like blatant sexism, you know? Were there comments or things that fueled motivation for you? For sure. You touched on a little bit, but I think everything is personal when you're starting a company. But I think for women, everything in business is made to be personal. And so even in corporate environments, I think that we're judged unfairly all the time. And so if something goes sideways, it becomes because we're like too bitchy or too whatever. And so I think that when we're out fundraising, there's like a personal extension of whether someone decides they want to invest in us or not. And to get that right is impossible. And to be successful, you kind of have to be a shark, to be honest. I mean, we experience things like being told like, oh, you're just a pretty face. So that's the only reason you've gotten anyone to write a check to begin with. We had men telling us that utility didn't belong in women's clothing. And that's 
one of the pillars of Argent that we've become known for <laughs> that women respond to physically. Like we'll show women our blazers that have interior pockets and their jaw will drop because it's just so novel and so special. And it just makes you feel like you've been thought of in the design process. And we've never been thought of in the design process of workwear. So it's hard because women respond so emotionally to what we're building and men just don't get it. And I think in the fundraising process, it's, I'll say this a lot, but like the overt sexism, I almost feel like someone's doing me a favor. Cause it's like, I know you pretty face man, like are never going to write me a check and you're not worth my time. And I've become conditioned to recognize the people that are going to waste my time that don't even realize that they're being sexist in terms of how they're treating me. Like the, the ones with the feminist t-shirt. Yes. The ones with like the woke bro loves women or whatever t-shirt. It's a, <laughs> we should sell those. I don't like, I want half of that. <laughs> Invests in women. Like yeah. those are the people I run into women in the more. future. Yes. I run into more trouble with that, but I think it extends beyond fundraising into starting a business. I just think we really are unfair towards women. I think women are unfair towards women. I think men are unfair towards women. We're really quick to make things personal. So we've had vendor relationships, you know, not work out because they're not delivering on whatever we've scoped and we have a tough conversation and it immediately becomes personal. We've had employees that we've had to let go. It becomes personal. So I just think we all have to step back and really think about how we're treating women that are in a work setting because I think we all are probably guilty of it at some point. Two things that Sally said to you going way back, but around how much energy goes into explaining yourself. I see that trend both like in my professional network, but also my own experience, not fundraising, but even like thinking about working at tech companies, like the people who are doing the work, like joining these like women at X company, black at X company, like those are the people who are spending their time doing like the free work to get towards the place that we need to go. So there's this like draining of energy and time in order to solve your own problems with fewer resources. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, the whole thing is just no over it. And then the utility function does not belong in women's clothing, which like, thank you for not listening. (laughs) (laughs) Like Lola and I talk about this all the time. There's this like, Weird, and I know we'll get to this later when you talk about like how exactly you've redesigned to solve these design flaws, but looking at Argent's clothing, like the emphasis on things like pockets, right? Where historically, like we don't have pockets like all the time where like I need a bag because I can't fit these simple things in my pockets and like function not belonging in women's clothing to me says like women don't have function because if like what I'm wearing doesn't allow for function then how do I function in society and so yeah I just want to call you out for that that. yeah clap for you because I think it's a real thing like when you talked about how people get emotional when they see some of the clothing that you make and like that's a real thing like the simplest thing being able to see like my hands can fit in my pockets. Like I can stand confidently, like there's space for me here. Like I can come feeling good in what I wear not like Lola said earlier, like I'm wearing a costume. I really love that you focused on that. It really comes down to confidence and community, I think. So what we wear really does matter to how we carry ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. And I think we all know that, men and women. And I just have this like vivid recollection of really going out to find things to wear to like big meetings or big conferences, and then just always feeling like, Ugh, you know, and so I think a huge focus was figuring out how to give women confidence through workwear because it's what you're wearing five plus days a week. 
And the other pieces, there are so many women out there that are having to face the same challenges. And I think that we've had trouble really like connecting with one another across like different workplaces and different industries. And there are a lot of efforts towards that, which is great. But the physical product is intended to be a reminder that like you're not going at it alone, even if you're stepping into your workplace and you're the only woman in that office, like just remember, like we're thinking about you in those little design hacks are a nice, I think, reinforcement of that and a nice reminder of that. So yeah. And then I think the goal really is with the brand to bring women together in that way, if not physically, but just like emotionally having that acknowledgement and appreciation and celebration that we're not given is ultimately the goal. I think that really comes through in your marketing, whether it's your work friends campaign and like what a beautiful way just, it makes me feel like I have a work friend (laughs) 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 and I get to know them a little bit, but then also I think when the pandemic hit and we all learned that it has disproportionately impacted women's careers 1.8 times to be more vulnerable than men's. And so, you know, Argent did something about that. And so it's not just like in the apparel, but in what you are doing to help keep women employed. And so I think it's doing the work of the work. Yeah, I I mean, I'm very millennial in this way, but I very much believe that the onus is on companies to drive change or awareness or what have you. And so in 2021, we partnered with Cisco LinkedIn and Time's Up to launch a back to work campaign with the goal of getting women back into the workforce. Women have been disproportionately impacted. Like it has really been a reckoning and an eye opener in terms of how much women are asked to do both at home and in the office. And We all know or we should know that when women are at the table and when women are provided space to show up, we add value. And so we should be represented at every level within an organization. And we should prioritize figuring out how to just allow women, you know, like to ensure that women are there. So for us, we partnered with 65 companies focused on just that, on getting women back into the workforce, because it is urgent right now. The longer women spend outside of the workforce, the harder it is for them to reenter. That's a societal issue for sure. We view a gap on a resume as problematic. Being a mom is the most challenging job period. I feel like I've had a lot of jobs at this point, and that is the most challenging one. And I think the Argent side of it is, yes, we'll always use brand to espouse like our beliefs and like really push on issues that we feel like we can impact. But there's also, for me, personal belief that there's a lot that we need to do. And in some ways, COVID was good because it was an eye opener for everyone. There's so much that companies need to do to restructure to support moms on their mothering journey, whether they need to exit the workforce for a decade or whether they just need more flexibility, whatever it is. So yeah, I could go on about that one forever because it's just... It's such a huge life change and we're just expected to power through and smile our way through it. I think LinkedIn just rolled out the ability to have Mm -hmm. like a work gap, right? Mm -hmm. And give different reasons. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. But it's people have been doing that for as long as they could. And I'm like, oh, like literally just now that feature is rolled out. So I thought it was both good and also about time. Yeah, it's such a simple thing, but it really matters. And I'll plug Amazon, but they have a really great program 
I forget the name of it, but essentially they have a program focused on getting moms back into, not just moms, but getting people back into the workplace. And I think they were real pioneers in getting LinkedIn to like offer that, but they have, they did one good thing, but they do, they have this program where they'll bring classes on 16 weeks at a time. It benefits them because if they find good talent, then they roll them into full-time roles, but it also helps people to get legitimate experience onto their resume and get them back on their feet and give them confidence to get back into the workforce. And they're really focused on celebrating moms, especially, or caregivers, making sure that we're acknowledging that that is real work. So they participated in this and have been pioneers in that regard. Caregivers is super important too, because I mean, over the past two years, the pandemic, we saw so many people step into like caring for their families. You know, it's up to those people who wants to share it with their workforce or not, or just leave without saying why. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people went into caring roles because they had to. I'd love us to talk a little bit more about your core beliefs as a brand. But one thing that I find fascinating about Argent is this whole concept of there's this double-edged sword when we conform to male gender norms of the society created. And I think we're kind of in this damned if you do, because then we're acknowledging the people in power and the system that they built. But then damned if we don't, if we're like, this doesn't exist, I'm going to create a new world. You know, both have different challenges. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how in the spirit as we evolve more towards equity, what trade-offs has Argent had to think through and make and in how it shows up in what we see in today's system? Yeah, I think that we have to accept a level of reality with how we approach this. So there's no way we're going to burn the system down and rebuild it. Like that's just not happening overnight, (laughs) you know? So what can we do with the hand we've been dealt? So for Argent, to me, a huge gap is the fact that women and men have not been participating in this conversation together. And so when I was at Cisco, I used to go to like women's conferences and I'd take time out of like a really busy schedule, go to these conferences that were really exciting, but they ultimately ended up becoming echo chambers. And I don't know that they really ended up having that much value. I don't want to like, they should continue great. You know, we should do whatever we can to advance women, but the glaring gap to me was the fact that men weren't part of the conversation, which is ironic because we're a women's workwear brand, but like we're really focused on getting men into the conversation and to accept that women fundamentally have a different experience. And so we do offer programming. For example, we've done things like negotiating tips in workshops or financial literacy planning, training, et cetera. And we always invite men to both participate as coaches and as participants. We invite them to come in and participate at every level because there's education in that. And so it's pretty funny how intimidating it is to them too. I remember inviting an an executive to be one of our negotiation coaches and then And he was C-suite at a Fortune 50 company and talking through what negotiations are like for like women and men. And I think it was educational for him because what I had witnessed was women are told to ask, you know, for more salary, for example, when you get a job offer. And when they do, the experience is different than men. So men ask for more and they're given more and women ask for more and they receive pushback. And I'm not saying that happens everywhere, but I've seen that happen multiple times. And so by inviting him in and for him to sit and have these conversations with women and to hear some of the experiences that they'd had, I think changed his approach to, 
you know, hiring and made it more data driven, for example. And I think the onus should not be on women, but it generally falls on the group that's been disenfranchised to raise awareness. And I think for us as a company, our goal really is to bring men into the conversation and not focus on all the negatives. We are where we are. I think it's more about focusing on the action and improvement and just making sure that we can, as a society, like show up best foot forward and involve everyone who wants to be a part of the conversation and everyone who wants to be part of the workplace. So that's sort of, I guess, like one of the things we're doing is just trying to continue to educate and be inclusive. Like inclusion is one of our biggest pillars. Yeah. You use the word invite a lot. And I was like, Ooh, this is screaming inclusion to me. <laughs> yeah. So we're not burning down the system, but we are like creating our own table and inviting men. I, something that you said when we were all catching up was that anyone who cares about equity should be paying attention to Argent is part of the Argent community, which I thought was a very cool way to talk about who Argent was for and who you're thinking about. Because it's like you said, you're inviting these people, like we're creating a new table because there needs to be a new space to solve these problems, but it's an inclusive space. Also, I feel like I use awareness a lot too. I think that something that I have used as a tool for myself, which has been successful, is just pointing things out as I see them. So I had a manager at Cisco who continued to ask me to do like the non-promotable tasks, like plan the party, take the meeting minutes. And so I just pointed it out and immediately he started bringing other people in to do those things. And so that's kind of one of those examples of those micro like offenses that's not intentional that we just are conditioned to do as a society to like ask the young woman to do those things. And so I know not everyone has a certain level of comfort with this, but I think if you're comfortable with it and have a trusting relationship with a manager, everyone wants to improve and everyone wants the same outcome or should. And if that conversation goes sideways, get out of there anyway. Like that person's not worth working for, but I've seen that as really successful and that's really how we're going to see change. When I think the vernacular used that in a conversation, you know, Cisco is this huge establishment. It has, I'm sure, checklists for what gets you promoted next. And so you weren't like, hey, I don't want to do these or hey, you're being sexist. You're like, these are non-promotable tasks. And it also emphasized your career ambitions and focus. So taking that approach is how to he argue with that. I want to do more things yeah. that actually help you. And he's like, oh, great that he heard you. We should just give men some props. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but hats off to both of the men that I mentioned, though, because the one that we invited to participate in the negotiation workshop, like he really changed his behavior. Same with this manager. They were both so receptive to this information and so open to having the conversation. And I think that's what it's going to take ultimately. Because I mean, men, as much as I hate to say it, like they are in positions of power, they do manage more of the money, like in order for us really to accelerate collective change, like we have to have them participate. We talked a lot about your core beliefs as a brand. And I think it is what enables you to create the clothes and the programming that you do and why other brands just can't come out the gate with a suit with pockets and it resonates or even has the broad reaching impact. And so they just come through so profoundly. So how does the brand ensure that your core beliefs remain the foundation of your brand as you grow? Arjun is a very obvious extension of me, you know? And so I think that founder led companies there's a level of authenticity that comes through that can't be matched. You've seen founders leave companies, especially like more public facing companies, and you feel that change immediately. There are things that you can do just from like a brand building perspective that ensure continuity and consistency. So we have a very robust brand deck 
that day one you start at Argent, like that's what you're going to be reading through. And we were really intentional with that. And we've spent years really like crafting that and perfecting, refining that. And we still to this day are like making improvements to it. It's an iterative process. And so I think it's just being really intentional, like out of the gates about what you're building. There are elements of Argent that have changed in terms of how we've shown up. But the North Star for us and like what we're ultimately building has remained the same since day one. And so I think just being really consistent with your values and with your mission and like what your ultimate goal is, and then just sort of putting bumpers in place as best you can as you approach that is really important. We've seen so many brands try and knock off what we do, whether it be through color, which we're really known for functionality, even down to people have like knocked off what I've said in prep. Like there's just, it goes to a level that you can't even imagine, but it doesn't really affect us or distract us because authenticity comes through for a consumer, whether they realize it or not. And we're like very authentically building what we're building and have been since day one. So I think it's just about Yeah, it's about that clear vision. Well, and that comes through in how you connect with community and then how they participate. Yeah, because you did say it was an extension of yourself. And I mean, knowing you and being a consumer customer, like I see that, but you can also see how Argent is community driven. Like there's, you're listening to people who you're building for. So it is an extension of yourself, but then it's also, I think, trickled in an extension of us too. Yes. Also color. Let's talk about color because <laughs> I mean, Lola said earlier about how like, forgot what, maybe it was J. Crew, like it was too oh, loud yes. and then Sally, your nails were too loud. Uh-huh. And so what I love about Argent's like you're looking at the pop of color and it brings like joy and power to what we're wearing every day. And I feel like we've gotten so accustomed to being like, I got to put this like starch paper-esque <laughs> yeah. like outfit on and like go to this job. For Argent, it's like, no, I mean, I can wear this pink suit and I can show up and like feel like myself, feel like Sally. And like something comes with that. There's a lot of meaning that comes with that. Our focus is power dressing. So like, how do we offer something that makes women feel like their best selves? And not everyone is here for the hot pink, but we offer it and we offer a full spectrum of options. So with our core collection, it's elevated basics. So you're still getting the functional details. It's more comfortable, but it's still your blacks and navies. And so I think for some women, that's their comfort zone. And that's great. And then for others, they see an opportunity to really reinforce their own personal brand through use of color. And like, they really want to stand out. They want to show up. Can't relate to that at all. (laughs) 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 You know, you show up in the pink and you're getting stopped in the airport. You're getting stopped. I got stuck with this olive green. The yeah, guy at the coffee shop, he said, ooh, that's a nice olive. Uh, I- there's something about the world sort of reinforcing like that you look great because you feel great. Like I think it just sort of emanates. And so mm-hmm. when I know it and someone oh, else does yes. it, I'm like, yeah, hey, we're homies. Like, yeah. Because yeah. it's like, we know we're great. Yes. We know we're powerful. Like we don't need you to tell us, but like if you're going to, but when you do. Yeah. When you do. Yeah. Yeah. So our goal is just really like to give women options that make them feel powerful. And it's resonated. It's been incredible to watch women really lean into color. And this is actually to go back to your previous question. We've seen huge brands try and copy what we're doing with color and it doesn't work. It falls flat. There's something like it just has to be that fully baked vision. Or foundation. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a one-off, it just reads as 
wrong, you know, and it doesn't translate. And we need more options because like, contrary to popular belief, we are working. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're working twice as hard in fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sally, thank you. Redesigning the system, setting the suiting standard, you know, what else? It's profound. Thank you. It's been really great being here. I love what y'all are doing. Thank you for having me. I could talk for hours. Thank you so much. Yes. 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 yes thank you. Yeah. Thank If you're like us and realize that you've been settling for less, Argent is the standard and Sally has hooked you up. Take 15% off with code majority-15. Thank you for being part of the majority group and evolving with us. Join us next time as we meet Sarah from Lilith NYC to talk about how much we love sneaker culture, even as we acknowledge all the ways it's left us out. See you next time.